Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to It's Okay to Say Gay. I'm Andy Eganthorpe. Every Pride, there's a Twitter thread that shows up highlighting the most obnoxious LGBTQ-themed items. Rainbow flag mouthwash. Rainbow flag beer cans. There was an LGBT sandwich, which was a BLT with guacamole. (laughs) I often laugh at the ads missing the mark because it can be so funny to see a company get something so wrong. But it's also representative of a larger problem. Corporations capitalizing on queer people without really understanding or even caring about them. And now Pride begins in six months, but I wanted to cover this topic now to give anyone who's listening enough time to get it right. Before we begin, it's important to know that these types of ads are pretty new. Today, there's discussion on how to advertise to LGBTQ plus folks, but decades ago, people were debating whether or not queer people should be included in advertisements at all. In 1981, Absolute Vodka was one of the first mainstream brands to advertise in a gay magazine. Even being associated with gay media was a risk. But Absolute had little to lose as a liquor brand. Its customer base was more associated with partying than it was with conservatism. In 1986, Absolute used gay artist Keith Haring's artwork in an advertisement. The ad had nothing to do with sexuality, but simply hiring a gay artist gave Absolute a sense of credibility within the community. The way it started was really the next step in the social movement, so it was less a marketplace movement. That's Dr. Jillian Oakenfull, a marketing professor and faculty director of diversity and inclusion at Miami University. She says by the 90s, LGBT-targeted advertising was gaining more momentum. It was really, at the time, probably gay and lesbian, bisexual, social movement who decided the next way that they really get their civil rights and their human rights was to have legitimacy in the marketplace. In 1991, the Wall Street Journal dubbed the gay community, quote-unquote, the dream market. The article pointed out that this large customer base was untapped. Marketers took an interest, but they were really only interested in one group. Think about who reads the Wall Street Journal. White, affluent, cisgender men. It was white, affluent males who were pushing this, um, and it was white, affluent males who were the target. 
Um, and that's really been the history, I would say, of while we call it LGBTQ marketing, it really has been marketing to gay white males really throughout, throughout its history with some exceptions. There were a lot of misconceptions about the lesbian marketplace, you know, being anti-consumer, being granola, being Birkenstock, um, which also made that to be quite an overlooked marketplace. Two income households, especially those with no kids, were appealing to the industry. These customers had money to spend. Think about the salaries that were being reported, right? So there was no gender pay gaps. It was all white collar workers. It was two males in a household. Um, so it was sort of trying to find that targeting sweet spot, which it was. It was affluent and especially for a certain subculture of the marketplace. So alcohol and bars, right? Those types of products. But it's also then being representative of a, of a lack of inclusion within that marketplace as well. Obviously, not everyone in the queer community is a rich white man. Other identities weren't getting any airtime. Go back to the first IKEA ad where they were choosing a dining room table. It was two males, right? Two white Afro males. And then they talk about the extra leaf, you know, for when the family expands. Women, lesbians, and queer women are far more likely to have kids than gay men. Right? And yet they're, they're still not the ones who are being portrayed. One of the first companies to tap into their lesbian customer base Subaru. They kept coming across these women, especially in rural areas, these women who tended to cohabitate with other women who had very outdoorsy lifestyles. And they discovered that lesbians were buying Subaru. So it wasn't that they created that target market. It wasn't that they created that market or, or saw that there were unmet needs. It was that lesbians saw that Subarus were meeting their needs and were using it. It isn't surprising that a gay employee was the one pushing for this. And so Subaru had somebody within the agency who was a gay male who pushed for them to, to also go after, not to, you know, it wasn't the only target market they went after, but this would be one that they did. And um, there was a lot of consternation about what, whether they would, it was risky. More companies were warming up to inclusivity, but marketers were still nervous to include LGBTQ people in ads. And this was the 1990s, right? So any company that was going to do this was in danger, legitimately in danger of backlash. This was the era of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. This was the era of DOMA. And so there were realistic ideas of, of backlash from the mainstream majority. To get around that, ads hinted at queerness instead of outwardly featuring it. So the coded ad was a way to speak to that, especially lesbian audience, to speak to them in a way that it was inside a joke, inside joke, right? It was them and Subaru. And to also go under the radar of those that would be in the mainstream who, who would have backlashed against it. Some of the ways they did this, having license plates that read P-Towny or Xena Lover, sticking a human rights campaign sticker on a bumper. The symbolism might fly over the heads of many, but gay customers understood. Queer-coded ads were seen as a way to get in with the community without actually taking a substantial stand. Now, that same appeal I don't think would work today, right? It would be considered as being having a lack of courage and not really standing up and representing and being authentic. But then the 1990s, that's what has happened. You know, I mean, when I first doing this research, that's what I was testing was coded ads. Now I look back at it and I cringe a little bit, but, but that's where we were, right, in terms of here's how you can reach this marketplace without risking the backlash of a much bigger marketplace over here. And one of the difficulties with that in the research I found was that, you know, there was no safe place to do it because 
especially lesbians, were not really represented in what was being called lesbian and gay media. That was again for gay males. And so it's not like there was a safe place to do it where you weren't going to risk the backlash because they were reading mainstream media. And so if you were going to reach this audience, especially lesbians, you had to go in there. Right, you had to be in the media and you would be in their eyes. And so it was about how do you go under the radar of that? As queerness became more acceptable in the mainstream, ads became less subtle. Advertising is a mirror of society, right? And so society started to shift and it became a safer bet, right? The risk of backlash became less and less as mainstream majorities started to accept what was called homosexuality there. You know, you can look at Pew Research numbers and see the trend lines changing over time. So it becomes more acceptable, it becomes less of a risk. As most activists will tell you, just because a company is tapping into the LGBTQ plus community doesn't mean those who run the company are truly invested in equality. Activists say sometimes it's just about the money. They're always tapping into what culture wants, right? And assessing the risk of it. The, the risk now has shifted to where the risk is not doing the advertising. The risk is doing the advertising and representing the LGBTQ audience incorrectly. And the backlash is coming from the LGBT consumers, not from the outside. So now there's a different risk that, that companies have to weigh up as they're looking at this. Today, gay advertising is very out and proud. It mainly happens during Pride Month, but after that, the rainbow flag fades away. Quite frankly, I mean, we've always been known as the watchdog for the LGBTQ community. Sarah Kate Ellis is the CEO and president of GLAAD. She says it's frustrating to see brands push rainbow products but not support queer people. Pride is a celebration, but Pride is a movement, and Pride is built on us securing and continuing to fight for our equality and acceptance in a world that is constantly pushing against that. And so I think that if companies are stepping up to merchandise off of this moment, they have to join our movement and ensure that they're fighting for our rights and our acceptance. That's a point Dr. Oakenfall teaches her marketing students. I insist that they do not do something that only exists in June because, you know, people are gay all year long. It's not that they have this identity just in June. It's not that somebody as a consumer only has these needs in June. So why would you only do it in June? So it, it feels very much like virtue signaling, right? I mean, why are you only doing it in June and not doing it the other 11 months? And that goes for everything, right? Black History Month, Women's History Month. When companies sell LGBTQ plus themed merchandise and posture themselves as queer friendly, but don't actually support LGBTQ plus issues, this is called rainbow capitalism or rainbow washing. It's prominent during Pride. It's why GLAAD takes a close look at who corporations donate to. That's why at GLAAD, we've enhanced what we're doing in terms of calling on corporates to not only step up, but speak out, also to look at their political giving. So we have a whole host of ways that we're going to be evaluating corporations moving forward for their participation with our community. Because Pride is a month, but we exist in this world for 12 months out of the year. So we need them standing side by side and not just marketing to us, but joining our movement. Here's how GLAAD measures corporate accountability to evaluate companies. 
So we do a number of reports across various industries. So we're adding these, you know, from Hollywood to social media platforms to corporate partners that we work with in Pride. So we're going to add these elements to the evaluation of how we measure their success in the world in terms of supporting our community. One metric Glad looks at is advertisements. It's one of the most pervasive pieces of media in the world, honestly. It comes into everyone's handheld and on everyone's television. Well, according to a Gina Davis study, only 1.8% of ads that are submitted to the Can Lions, which is this big advertising celebration or organization, include LGBTQ people. So we're calling on advertisers to increase that dramatically. In addition, GLAD led a campaign for more LGBTQ plus inclusion in marketing called the Visibility Project. So we've partnered with a company who puts their money where their mouth is, and they've created ads that not only market to the LGBTQ community, but take insights that are that are special and, and important to the LGBTQ community and create stories, if you will, ads around that. Glad supplemented the launch with a report sharing industry perspectives on LGBTQ inclusion in marketing. Researchers found 81% of advertisers and 41% of agencies agree that, quote, an inauthentic execution of LGBTQ people and scenarios would lead to a larger backlash than not featuring them in ads at all. Dr. Oakenfall says this study emphasizes why companies are nervous to be more inclusive in marketing. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 78% of advertisers and even 31% of agencies feel that it's very difficult to adequately represent LGBT community because it's so complicated and has so many nuances. Sarah Kate believes companies do want to do better, but they don't know how to. What I'm finding nine out of 10 times is they want to get it right. And that's a great indicator for me. How they get it right is the big question. So when the Visibility Project puts out an ad, they do it with an understanding of the audience. 
They take a product and brainstorm how it could be authentically marketed to the queer community. Here's an example. So one of them they did was around the holidays and trans people going home for the holiday can be a, an enormous stress on them because oftentimes they're hiding who they are. But the one thing that brings trans people a lot of joy during their transition is their hair, is having control over how they look because for so long they feel like they haven't matched inside with outside. So they did a whole commercial on trans people going home for the holidays and used real trans people. And it was with Pantene. So it was a hair product. So it worked on both levels. And I love to see collaborations that work like that, that tell true stories, help educate consumers and non-LGBTQ people, and you know help the business along the way too. Inclusion efforts like the Visibility Project are crucial even if companies still have learning to do. The idea is that it's important enough to, to do it and maybe get it a little bit wrong, but keep working at it. And so we have to get companies to be prepared to take a little risk. Remember, we live in a capitalist society. Profit drives decision-making, even for companies that in worst case scenarios don't care at all about the queer community. Ignoring them is actually a huge business mistake. As we look at this next generation, Generation Z, the latest Gallup poll said that 20% are LGBT. And so that's only growing because they're feeling safer in terms of coming out. 71% of Americans support marriage equality. That being said, not all companies are created simply to make money off of consumers. Some founders set out to solve problems that exist within their own circles, like Tomboy X. I'm sorry about my dog. She never barked. That's Fran Dunaway. About a decade ago, Fran ran into a problem. She couldn't find a button-up shirt she liked. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and co-founder and I were complaining about the lack of shirting options for women. Fran could not find anything designed with gender non-conforming or mask women in mind. Women who didn't want to wear the fitted shirts usually marketed to femme-presenting women. Something like a Robert Graham or Ben Sherman for women. And we couldn't find anything that was of the quality that you could find in menswear. So we thought, well, how hard can it be to start a clothing line? Shortly thereafter, Tomboy X was born. But we really started because uh, out of a need for clothes that were functional, that fit a type of personality that was more nonconformist and uh, really wanted to be an inclusive brand from the beginning. And once they started making the button-ups, they heard from customers who said they wanted boxer briefs. We didn't know that no one was making those, so I went on to Nordstrom.com, typed in boxer briefs for women, and out came a pair of Spanx, and that was it. And so it was really the customers telling us that, that that was a need. They made boxer briefs, then sold out in two weeks. And then started wondering if maybe we were an underwear company. The support came flooding in. We started hearing from women and girls around the world who were super excited to have a brand that recognized them. And that was really a large part of our core customer base is the LGBTQ community, but also plus size and people who are in non-traditional occupations, women that are in non-traditional occupations. What we were is kind of ahead of or riding the curve of generational and societal shifts that that were changing the culture 
of fashion, of gender, questioning gender, binary. And we really understood early on that women's needs are really synonymous with human needs. And so it was important that we uh, be diverse, be inclusive and expansive in, in not only our branding, but in our sizing and the products that we made and deliver. Tomboy X's support shows marketing isn't enough, but LGBTQ people need to also be running brands. Just look at the history of the underwear industry. I mean, if you look back, everything was about the white male gaze. It was not about what women wanted, what what queer people wanted. Tomboy X did not want to be another Victoria's Secret. And what we wanted to do was not be the brand that wanted to tell you how to be cool that you needed to aspire to, but we wanted to celebrate how cool you were and how cool you are. And I think that that resonates and I think that continues to resonate. And I, I think that that's the shift, the societal shift that we're seeing is that women in the BIPOC community, we're just ready for the change to where we aren't being scrutinized from the outside, but we're coming in and feeling our own comfort and confidence from the inside. Marketing execs, even those who are LGBTQ, must keep up with community evolution. More people now within the LGBT community identify as bisexual or sexually fluid than same-sex attractions. And, you know, a couple of decades ago, that was considering to be you were trying to pass or you were just in a phase or you didn't have the courage to go all the way to being same-sex attracted, right? Now, most most uh, LGBTQ people in the U.S., 57% identify as being bisexual. Um, and the part that's interesting is that women are three times more likely to identify as bisexual than men. And in fact, 71% of LGBTQ people identified uh, are identified as either lesbian or bisexual. Her point is this. What was palatable marketing 10 years ago doesn't mean it's acceptable today. This market is inherently fluid and inherently female. You know, and so marketers who can't switch from this white gay male are just not going to capture this marketplace. Dr. Oakenfull calls this the, quote, gender Asian gap between older and younger LGBTQ folks. I believe this has got a lot to do with the environment in which you came out, right? So in our environment, I'm 56. You know, we were, uh, mine was during those 1990s, right? Where you had that moral majority and where you felt nothing but shame and stigmatization for the identity that you had. And so you, you didn't have the luxury of playing around with slicing and dicing that identity, right? You went to a gay bar. That's where you explored your identity. And whoever was in there that night was, was who you met. Today, it's different. I think a big shift in this has been that respatialization of identity exploration from the physical gay bars, coffee houses, bookstores to online, where you now have all of these different groups and all of these different places where all of these different identities can can exist. More people are moving away from the binary. For many people, it's not butch femme, it's masculine and feminine and masculine and feminine together. Right. So you um, so it may be one day you feel this way, the next day you, you feel this way. And that's perfectly fine. Or maybe you feel it at the same time. She says that wasn't true in past decades. There was no place to explore it. There was no place to express it. There was certainly no place where society was going to affirm it like they do now. So I, I think, A, it's been that social media, right, everything that you see that A, allows you to explore all of these very different intersecting identities and where you can affirm it, 
where you can see other people. The past few years have shaken up preconceived notions. And all of a sudden you have Gen Z where everything's fluid, even among straight people, right? So even if you're not LGBTQ, you believe that gender is fluid, right? The data would show that the majority believe that gender is fluid. But Gen Z is still too young to be heavily involved in marketing decisions. So we have this absolute gender schism in terms of who's trying to do the marketing and who's receiving the marketing and who's really driving what is considered to be LGBTQ. This is why it's important for older marketers to hire or at least listen to the younger generation. These are the people who will be activists. These are the people who are holding marketers' feet to the fire in terms of how they represent them in the marketplace. At Tomboy X, hiring diversity is extremely important to the brand. Having that representation at every level uh, within an organization so that those voices are heard and, and then developing a culture, an environment where people feel comfortable and confident in speaking their truth. And so that's a core principle and value that we have at Tomboy X that we've had from the beginning. A quick recap. The LGBTQ plus community is diverse. Marketers need to treat it as such. There is one time where I feel like that can be treated as one market, and that is when everybody in there is being socially assaulted, which I think is what's happening now. Arkansas and Tennessee are the latest states to sign anti-transgender legislation into law. And if you add in race, um, you have lesbians, right, who are going to be targeted as women. The Supreme Court ending constitutional protection for abortions by overturning Roe versus Wade. You have all these different things that now within this group and within their intersectionalities, there is a common enemy, right? There is something that is bringing us back together again, which is our, our the assault on our, on our human rights and on our civil rights. She says marketers could start to think of the marketplace as a social movement, but it has yet to be done in a way that doesn't feel like pandering. There are some real needs, there are some real social threats that can absolutely be, be tapped into. Uh, and you can either empathize with them or perhaps even there's a role for you to play in these. Like companies play an enormous role in amicus briefs and those types of things for, for lawsuits, right, that are coming there. So there are places now where companies are back in a position where they can really step in and be the majority for minorities in, in a way that, then maybe for the last five or so years ago, they haven't had to do it. I think that there are brands that can really do some powerful, powerful things in telling the stories and the challenges for the LGBTQ community and doing it in really artful and thoughtful way where they bring people along. Sarah Kate has seen it before. You know, we always say that Will and Grace did more for marriage equality than any other thing that happened in that time. And I think that's because you met people who you welcomed into your living room, whom you laughed with and who you cried with. And when you do that, when you, when you start that empathy machine, whether it be through an ad or through social media or through movies or TV shows, you build bridges and we need a lot more bridges in this country. And and so I think that a lot of brands should take that responsibility on as they profit from storytelling and from our community, because we are we do have a disproportionate amount of we participate in this in the disposable income economy at a disproportionate rate. Fran says companies should think critically about business decisions if they don't line up with the brand's values. 
Sometimes that means even sacrificing opportunities. We actually turned down an offer from another big box store because even though they do well on their on the equality index, they actually a lot of their uh, C-suite people make donations to anti-LGBTQ organizations, and so that was just a, a easy no for us. Tomboy X is really careful about their partnerships. Well, we look at the authenticity, and we you can go through historically and see who companies have put their money behind politically, as well as uh, how they've treated workers and what their values are and how why they were formed and and what they've what they've contributed to the communities where they are and so i think you know for us we just make sure it's a values alignment and that makes it pretty easy for the most part for company leadership turning down deals over moral matters can be frustrating but it doesn't mean better suited opportunities aren't out there we did a pride collaboration with target this year and it was a wonderful experience, and I hope that folks got to see the media and whatnot that they put out around it. But they did some beautiful ads with uh, with a very diverse group of, of LGBTQ people, including trans models. And so we were very proud of that collaboration. Obviously, when you're leading a company, you have the power to make these kinds of decisions. What about employees who aren't high up but want to have a voice in this? I always say start with HR. There's typically a diversity, equity, and inclusion person at companies now, or HR is wearing two hats. And start the conversation there and see what the challenge is. Sometimes it's just education, honestly. Sometimes people are well-meaning. They feel that they're supporting the community by putting a rainbow out there because that means that they are LGBTQ inclusive. They don't understand the struggle of the community. And sometimes we need to bridge the gap for them. But I would start in HR. A lot of companies have what they call ERGs, which are employee resource groups. Typically, they have you know them for people of color, women, LGBTQ people. So anybody who's marginalized or or doesn't have a a seat at the quote unquote table, I would say start there as well. Join that group and start having the conversations. This is happening more in the workplace. We've seen employee activism take off over the past year. And I think a lot of that has to do with these companies who say, these are our values and they state their values of being inclusive of all. But then when the rubber meets the road and we see bad legislation moving in states that they have a lot of political and economic pull in, they're not speaking out in. And so when that isn't aligned, there's a problem. For customers, it can be difficult to navigate all of this, but there are ways to start making more ethical purchases. So what I always do is if I'm in a store or I'm on a website, I always see who are they who are they supporting? What organization? If they're selling pride materials. And if the company has no answer for that. That's a moment to educate and say, you know, this community needs your support. You can't just market to this community. So I think it it that's one way for sure. You can always go to our website at glad.org because we have a list of our partners that have been vetted by us and you can work with. At the end of the day, individuals have decisions when it comes to their purchases. 
I think it's important that we're intentional with where we spend our dollars and where we, who we support and what company. Even with all the rainbow washing out there, Fran is confident that the majority of shoppers will think critically. I believe that customers are smart and they do understand consistency and they know when a brand shows up superficially or when their actions are outside of pride season, demonstrate that they uh, what they support or what or they're willing to turn a blind eye to things and to the real challenges facing the LGBTQIA plus community today. Especially queer customers who continue to deal with threats towards their community. I think it's an incredibly terrifying time politically and socially for that LGBTQIA plus people. And unlike brands that are focused on showcasing rainbows and May or June, we stay focused and committed to the same core principles and values that led us to found Tomboy X from the beginning. So the next time you need a new shirt to Rocket Pride, try checking out a brand like Tomboy X that's invested in their community. We didn't change the way we do business because it was a trend in the market. We came out of the gate. Yeah, this is who we are to our core. This is, this is us. This is me and Naomi, and it's still within the DNA of the company. Thank you so much for listening to It's Okay to Say Gay. Special thanks to producer Dempsey Pillot, and a big shout out to Jill Webb, who wrote and produced this episode. Famey Redwood is the managing producer of podcasts, and I'm audio engineer and host Andy Eakenthorpe. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.